My wife even gave me tissues today, so forethought is on her, her behalf. A couple things, really quickly. Um, thank you so much uh, for everything. Like, palpable prayers. So good. Um, the volume of texts, even the ones I didn't respond to, have been huge. Uh, the, the food, the cookies, the, the desserts, um, all of those things have been uh, in, incredibly appreciated and felt. Uh, and like even if this had not been me, uh, to step back and to be an observer, so proud of this faith family. So thanks. Thanks so much. Um, the Saturday that, that I was released from the hospital, I kind of made my case to get out. Like, I couldn't be there anymore. Um, the trauma team came by, and uh, they were like, what do you need? And I said, I, I need to go home. I got to get out of here. This sweaty bed, I've been in it long enough. I can't take it anymore. I can't take the needle sticks and everything every few hours. I just, I don't want it anymore. I want to go home. And, uh, you know, just, I, I kind of pled my case. Um, the same way I pled my case the day before to not have a catheter put in, you know. And so I was just, I was adamant, and, and they listened, which was great. And today is kind of a similar case. Um, I pled my case to be here, and uh, I am so grateful to be here. Like, like not here, like not, not a building. I could care less if we were under a tent. And I want us to have that mindset, like it's not about the building, it's not about the place, because as you well know, uh, hopefully if you've been around a while, come April 3rd, we, we don't have a building, and we don't have a place, but what we do have is a family, and, and that's the church. God never intended it to be brick, mortar, stained glass, I love stained glass, but that's not the point. The point is He came to build something that was made of flesh and blood and souls that were terminally bound to God through Jesus. And that's what I've missed. Even before we look at the text today, um, which I'm super excited about, just a simple narrative that we get to look at. Um, I think in the past two years, uh, starting with, with all the COVID fun, I think God's reoriented my brain, my heart, about the value of the gathering of the saints. Like that it's not, it's not something as simple as a Sunday occurrence. It's not something as simple as a program. It's not something as simple as something that we do with religious audacity. But it's, it's spiritual. It's supernatural. There's an exchange that occurs. And, the, and even when we look at Ephesians, God says that he's building his temple not just in the individuals but in the collective body of the saints. Like this is valuable. And it's not just that it's valuable, but it is inseparable from our identity as what Christ is remaking us into. He's making us into a family, and we cannot miss this. This is not our identity, but it is an expression of who we are. And I think over the past few weeks, God has brought what he started through COVID kind of full circle to show me, like, man, I have missed the family of God. Like, just gathering with the saints. Like, I had no doubt that you were still here. Like, I had no doubt that you were still in our relational circle, our familial circle. I had no doubt about that. But I needed to share 
air with you. Like I needed to share oxygen and release carbon dioxide, the art of respiration. I needed all of those things with you to hear you sing, uh, to, to, hear, to, to sit and listen with you and to just be with you. Like it's inseparable from who we are. And like if God hasn't taught you that, that's fine. But man, he's teaching me that and it's, it's good and it's valuable. And uh, I pray I don't forget it anytime soon. And so uh, thank you for being a family that I long to be back with. And so uh, for that, thank you. All right, done with all that. I think, you know, something may come up, but who knows? I'm not on, on painkillers anymore, so we've, we've got that going for you today. Um, but I'm still me, so the pinball still bounces. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Mark chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, today, what we're going to do is we're going to put a couple small passages together that are normally read separately, and if we read them normally, they just seem like a very data-driven point of narrative, um, and they are. They're, they're giving us some timeline and some ideas about uh, where things are going and how they are progressing, but hidden in there for us today, uh, there's a switch, and it's, it's, it's incredibly vital that we see it, it's incredibly vital that we hear it. Um, and, it's, and it's incredibly vital that not only see and hear, but we actually, man, we own it. We have to own it. Um, and so uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the headship of Christ uh, who reigns over this family. Um, we thank you for the redemptive work of Jesus. Uh, God, we thank you for the calling of the Holy Spirit. And God, we thank you. God, we thank you for being our Father. Today, as we look at your word and as we look at something so incredibly simple, line for line, God, I pray that we see that what Jesus was doing in this moment was massive and incredibly necessary. Um, and God, I pray that we, we thank you for it, but God, I pray that we own it um, and we live in it. God, we thank you for loving us, we thank you for your word, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen. So we're going to read verses 7 through 21, and then we'll, we'll get back together and, and talk about that. So Mark 3, 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And a great crowd heard all that he was doing, and they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all that had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, those whom he named apostles, so that they might be with him and, might, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, the sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard of it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. 
So if we're following along, like we've said from the beginning, we're going to walk through Mark and we're going to take our time because it's going to take time if we recap, like so much has occurred already in the book of Mark and like we're only in chapter 3, but the way that Mark writes, um, it would lead you to believe that this has taken place over the course of several weeks, maybe a few months, but we're probably a year plus into Jesus' ministry. So don't think this is days, think of this long term, you know, a year plus kind of a thing. And so we've seen Jesus enter the scene, and we saw several different accounts from different people, from different places, from natural to supernatural, attest that this Jesus, he's the one that the world, all of creation, has been waiting for. We saw Jesus say that, uh, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We saw Jesus speak to a few fishermen and said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. We've seen Jesus heal, we've seen Jesus cast out demons, we've seen Jesus uh, confront the religious establishment, we've seen them be flipped on their side. We've seen him do all these things, not over the course of weeks, but over the course of one year plus. And we've seen him do it over and over and over and over. And in the midst of that, we've seen his popularity grow from a few people seeing him baptized to potentially thousands of people gathering around him in this particular passage to where there were so many that he said, we need to get in a boat or we're going to be crushed. And in the midst of that, we've seen some people following him for what they could get, but we've seen a few other people following him for what they could learn. And he spoke to them directly, and and I think we've made assumptions up until this point that probably the twelve were already, quote, disciples. At this point, Jesus had general disciples. Because anytime we read in Scripture and we see the word disciples, which we're going to use a lot as a family at a very DNA level, like even when we say that our mission is to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love the city, like when we see in Scripture disciples, we have general, then we have specific disciples. Disciples in its very general term just means a follower. And at this point, Jesus may have had up to like 1,000 plus general disciples, just followers. Now, like I said, some of those, they were, they were following Jesus because he had done some crazy things. Like he had confronted the religious establishment. Yes, he had healed. He had exercised demons. Demon be gone. He had done all of those things. And, and they were curious, and so they were following from one town to another. Starting here, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed, follow being followers, disciples from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from beyond the Jordan and around the Tyre and Sidon. Like those particular places, like that's not the important part. The, the general idea is from everywhere they were following him because he had healed, because he had taught, because he had freed people from demons, and because he did it all like what we talked about several weeks ago. He did it with authority that had never been seen. Like, like he spoke, like he wrote the manual. Why? Because he did. And so we had a lot of general disciples. But at this point, like even like up until this point, we've assumed that he also had those specific disciples. And he did to a degree because he had called a few. We see him call Peter. We see him call Andrew and James and John. And we see him call Levi or Matthew out. Uh, and his call was very simple. He said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. But at this point, this is what's occurred. They've followed And they've listened, they've learned, they've observed, they've, to a degree, they've they've sat, they've consumed. Nothing wrong with that. 
Nothing wrong with that, but his invitation was specific. He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Up until this point, they're just, they're kind of accomplishing the first half. But what Jesus is about to do in the second part of this passage is he's about to set the stage for the shift or the switch to be flipped. And it's so important for us to hear it. It's so vital for us to hear it because I think for most of us, for most of the evangelical church, we're entirely content with doing what we've seen up until here. We're entirely content with doing what we've seen up until here. And this is not to elicit guilt. This is not to to make someone feel less than, but we do want to read the entirety of Scripture, the entirety of the mission, not just bits and pieces. And so the great crowd, they thronged about, another writer would have said, and he said, we need to get in a boat or we're going to be crushed. For he, in verse 10, it says, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him, And whenever the unclean spirits saw them, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Verse 13. We'll pick back up there. It says, He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. The other gospel writers in the synoptics of Matthew and Luke, they're going to say that he called out from... Because like I said, there were hundreds, maybe thousands, following Jesus at this point, and yet Jesus called out for himself twelve of his disciples, from his disciples. And he called those 12, those 12 that he desired, and then he names them. But before he names them, he says this. Verse 14, it says, And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. The other writers would also say to heal of diseases. Let's recap again, just a minute, what Jesus had been doing. Jesus had been preaching. Jesus had been casting out demons. Jesus had been healing of diseases. The switch that Jesus is about to flip is the switch of replication. The switch of replication. Jesus called out 12, and he said, I am going to empower you, I'm going to equip you, and I'm going to send you to do exactly what I've been doing. And that might not hit you, but it needs to. When Jesus calls disciples, he doesn't call disciples to be academics solely. He doesn't call disciples just so that they may be healed only. He doesn't call disciples just so that they can walk in the same footsteps that he walked in. No, Jesus calls disciples so that he can teach them, so that he can heal them, and so that he may release them to do all the things that he has done short of dying on a cross. And that's exactly what he desired to do with the twelve. I think the first part of discipleship is probably fairly easy. 
Now granted, there's some self-denial that's there. Obviously, for us to be a disciple, number one, we have to admit, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have to see our sin, because if we don't see our sin, there's no way that we can see the grace that Jesus and only Jesus offers through his life, his death, his birth, his resurrection on the cross. And if we don't see our sin, we don't see the, the offer that Jesus tosses out there, there's no way that we can turn from that sin and turn to Jesus. And so, yes, there's self-denial. The first part of discipleship is actually turning from, turning to. Come, follow me. Leave where you are. Come to where I am. So, yeah, there's, there's that. But then the other first part of that is just to sit and learn. And so maybe that sit and learning for a young disciple is. It's showing up on Sundays, being with the saints, listening to hopefully what is biblically sound teaching. That's great. And then endeavoring to do it on your own. To sit down with Scripture, to read, to ask God, God, illuminate my brain through the Holy Spirit as I read your word. Teach me who you are. Teach me who I am. Teach me what I must do. There's that. But then at some point, that, that switch has to flip. The hourglass, so to speak, has to turn over. It's the language and the illustration that we'll use. Because Jesus didn't come just to make us healed. He didn't come just to make us learners. He came to make us like Him. In function, in mission, and in response to sin. And so He calls out the twelve and He says, I'm calling you out so that you can do exactly what I've done. You fishermen, you tax collectors, you revolutionary zealots, you people who are not named anywhere else, I'm calling you out to be functionally like me and empowered by the same spirit that dwells in me. I think you grew up, if you grew up the way that I did, I don't know that you did, but, but in my upbringing, intentional or not, I grew up with the belief that a, a good little Christian boy or girl shows up to church. They don't do bad things. They do good things. They know the right songs. They wear the right clothes. And they're nice to their parents. All of those things are true, but it's so incomplete. Extracting from that, you may have grown up similar to me thinking that a good little Christian uh, doesn't have to do much as long as we know Jesus. But here's the issue. Jesus didn't leave where he was to come and live as he did, to die as he did, to kick death in the teeth and rise as he did, just so that we could be good sitters, good seat warmers, good placeholders. He came so that we could be like him. Co-heirs, as scripture would call us, not just in what we get, but in what we get to do. Oh my gosh. The victory that we get in Jesus is the mission. Hear me. The victory that we get in Jesus is the mission. 
Imagine the unworthiness just of a moment for, for these guys, these 12 men, one whom Jesus would even know that would betray him. Like they were nothing. They were less than. They were never approached by another rabbi to come follow me. I will make you into something. None of them. They, were, they, did, they weren't good enough to go to rabbinical school. They were failures in their eyes of their parents. Most likely we talked about Levi. His parents probably wanted him to be a priest. And he ended up as a tax collector, an endorsed thief. And now Jesus is looking at these men and he's saying, look, I'm not just calling you out of obscurity. I'm calling you into kingdom work, my work. You get to do what you've been following me, watching me do for a year plus. I'm calling you into a mission. Something bigger, something more important, something of eternal value, not just to you but to all those that you will get to teach, all those that you will get to heal, all those that you will get to free, their eternal value. Here's the, the elephant in the, the chair, though. We weren't on the mountain. And I know maybe, maybe none of you had that thought, but I have that thought when I read this passage, because I do. I don't want to read anything into Scripture, and, and I obviously look and see that Jesus called 12 out from potentially 1,000 or more and be like, well, maybe I'm not one of those 12. Maybe I'm just one of the 1,000. Maybe I'm one of those general disciples. Here's the beauty. We weren't on the mountain, but we were on the beach. You say, what do you mean, Stan? Well, my name's not Stan, but here's what I mean. So yeah, in this case, there was a mountain. Thousands following Jesus, he calls out 12. But you flash forward a little bit more to Matthew 28. And in this sense, in, in Mark chapter 3, we are seeing a commissioning of the 12. A commissioning. A commissioning is literally, I am giving you your marching orders and I'm telling you what you must do. I am replicating myself in you to go and do these things. All that I have done... But then you, you go forward about two plus years later, we watch Jesus die, we watch Jesus rise, and then for 40 days he spends time with his disciples, the specific 11 remaining and the general disciples, which are all disciples at this point, maybe not apostles, but disciples. And then the parting message on a beach, now I see it, I've told you this before, I know in my brain... Um, I feel like it's on a mountain, but it's probably a beach. I don't know. Either way. And he's sitting there with his remaining, and he's saying, Now, before I leave, I'm going to commission all of you. Every one of you. By the way, it really wasn't a beach. That's just my brain. I feel like it should be a beach, but it's another mountain. And they're overlooking so much stuff that he's going to use as a reference, but... He says, I'm commissioning all of you now, not just the 11, but all who follow me, every single one. And he tells them very simply, go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I will be with you through it all. So while we may not have been on the mountain in chapter 3, we were on the mountain in Matthew 28 because that was the collective body. All those who were following Jesus at that time. And he didn't just commission the 11. 
He commissioned all of them. He commissioned all of them not to sit. He commissioned all of them not to be still. He commissioned all of them not to be silent. He commissioned all of them not to be quiet believers, but he commissioned all of them to go out, turn the hourglass over, and replicate themselves in someone else. He commissioned all of us. Man, woman, highly gifted, lowly gifted, well-spoken, soft-spoken, checkered past, perfect past, doesn't matter. All of those who have been bound to God through the grace of Jesus by seeing their sin and turning from it, who have been equipped by the Holy Spirit to go and do all that we've been commanded to do, and all of those whom Jesus now richly dwells in, he commissioned all of us, every single one. If we think lightly of the mission, we'll think lightly of the commissioning and vice versa. But the reality is the mission is huge and the commissioning is great. We've been called to go. Just go and make disciples. And when he's standing on that mountain, obviously, in chapter 28, and we see it continued in Acts 1, he says, I want you to start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he's saying, start where you are. Go a little bit further. Go to the place where you hate them, they hate you, and then go as far as you can possibly imagine. That's what we've been called to. But here's the beauty. While we were called as individuals, he called us as a body. He called the body of the saints to do this. The entirety of the body. That means not just me. Not just water, not just Taylor, not just Nico, all of us, all of us. And I just think that makes the mission all the more beautiful, that we get to do it together, together. I don't know if you were given an incomplete description of what it means to be a disciple, I know a lot of us were. I know a lot of us were led to believe that the end result should be how often we attend a worship service, how much money we give, uh, how much time we dedicate, how many teams or committees we're on. None of those things are bad. None of them are bad. But I think the main thing has to be, are we living commissioned by Jesus? Are we doing that? Are we doing it in our home? Are we doing it in our neighborhood? Are we doing it in our workplace? Are we doing it in our city? Are we partnering with people that do it around the world? Are we living commissioned by Jesus? I think probably... uh, so funny, in a 72-hour period in the hospital, I probably shared the gospel more times than I'd shared it in the, in the three months previous. Now, part of that was delauded, um, most likely. 
but in reflecting on that like on Wednesday morning uh, or Thursday morning timeline is, is kind of fuzzy. I just remember in the quietness of not being stuck and not having a nurse pop in. It was before Abby got there just thanking God that when I was squeezed, what came out was him. A lot of options because <laughs> there's a lot in here that could come out. But I had a doctor walk in who, to be honest, I don't even remember his face before that moment, but apparently we had chatted, and he picked up on a conversation that we had left off at some point previous, and he was talking about this church. I was kind of shocked. But apparently at some point, (laughs) at some point we had had a conversation about Jesus and the church. I want us to be a family that when we're squeezed and when we're not, Jesus comes out. When we're squeezed and even when we're not, Jesus comes out. Because here's the reality. Your family needs Jesus. Your neighbors need Jesus. Your coworkers need Jesus. Man, this city desperately needs Jesus. And those are the reasons, those are the reasons that Jesus redeemed you, redeemed me, and left us here. Left us here to participate in that commissioning. And so I think there's a couple of responses for us. I think, A, we could, we could say, well, I'm not capable <clears throat> I'll tell you, that's a lie from Satan. You're entirely capable. If you've been redeemed by Christ, you have a story. Within that story rests the gospel. You get to share that story. I'm not telling you to stand on a street corner with a megaphone. Now, if God tells you to do that, you do that. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But again, if God says stand on the street corner with a megaphone, you go do that. But I'm telling you, within the confides of our relationships, we have a story. Life before Jesus How did he grab my attention? How did I respond? What's my life been like since? There's your story resting in that's the gospel. We can share that. You lived it. You're an expert on it. You can share that. So am I capable? You are entirely capable. The woman of the well was capable. She had no training. And her first response was to go back and tell people about Jesus. Our second response is to feel overwhelming guilt. Let's not do that either. Now, if you feel conviction for not participating in the commissioning that Jesus has placed on you, conviction is one thing, and in which case our response to that is the same for any sin. We confess that to God and say, God, I'm sorry that I've been silent. I'm sorry that I haven't taken place, I've taken part. I'm sorry that I haven't done what you've asked me to do. Forgive me of that. But now, God, let me go forward and do it. And then we just say, God, I want to. Show me how. And then maybe the third is this. Maybe the third is you're like, I I know I'm capable as a result of Jesus. I want to do it. But maybe your third response is, I I just need help. Well, guess what? Man, you're surrounded by a ton of people who are at the same place at the same time as you, and they're probably trying to figure it out too. So why don't we confess it to one another? In community groups, over coffee, over dinner, whatever it may be, Steak is preferable. And just say, man, I'm trying to figure this out. How's it going for you? What, 
what can we do for one another? Because again, God didn't commission us as individuals. He commissioned us as a family. Let's figure out how to make it work as a family. You know, for, as a church, what we do is we have Love the City events, and, and those Love the City events are hopefully a means to build a bridge so that we actually get to share the gospel in words and in deed, and uh, simultaneously or separately, either way, the gospel must be shared in words, and so maybe one way for you to learn and figure that out is to actually be a part of those. And I know 2 o'clock is difficult. 8.30 is difficult, but there will be more opportunities as we build these bridges with these schools and these other organizations, these other places and these cities. Um, so maybe show up for those. Good training wheels. Good places corporately. Maybe another practical step is you tell your community group, look, I've got three neighbors that I'm trying to get to know. Um, would you like to help me have a barbecue? I can't believe I just said that. Man, that is not the southern way to say cookout. Um, I don't know what Yankee has inspired me to say that, but man, because barbecue is smoked pork. Anyway, it's not an event. Um, or beef, yeah, if you're from Texas. Would you like to help me have a cookout so that I could get to know some of my neighbors in hopes of sharing the gospel with them? Maybe you invite some of the people in your life from this church over to your house because, you know, there's a little bit of safety in numbers. Maybe you do that. Actually get the family involved with building relationships with other people so it's not just you on this mission. It's an us thing. But maybe the other thing is this, too. Maybe the other thing is you pull out your card. And I'm going to harp on these until we're done and we're not going to be done. These are the names that I pray for as often as I can, almost daily. Maybe you pull out the names on your card. And you just say, Jesus, I know you love them. Let me love them so much that I share the gospel with them. Provide that opportunity. Let me see you redeem them. And then you do it again tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. And the next day. Until Jesus saves them. Maybe we do that. Maybe we do that. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for... We thank you for a mission that we didn't design, and God, we thank you that this is not just about business strategy of getting more people involved, but it's about a mission, and it's about the eternity of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who need to hear of the redeeming love of Jesus, and your plan A is us. God, I thank you for making us worthy to speak your name. I thank you for making us worthy to bear your name. I thank you for making us worthy to be commissioned by you to go and do what you've done. Thank you for replicating yourself in us. And God, I pray that you would give us the privilege to replicate ourselves in others. Thank you for the switch that shows that it's not just about sitting and learning, it's not just about healing, but it's also about getting up, going, and doing the things you've done because you've told us that we can and you've told us that we should. God, thank you for Jesus. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.